0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways, and as usual, here with John Paul Hampstead, Director of Passport Research. Uh, And here's where we discuss what's happening in the freight market and hopefully give everybody a little bit of insight on what's going on in the freight market this week. So we've had, again, another increase in outbound tender volumes, increase in tender rejection rates, capacity appears to be just you know, tightening every single week at this point. We have a long, sustainable run. And I think the question on most people's minds, and I know that I've had some conversations this week, um, is how long is this going to last and the sustainability of it? Do you have any thoughts on that, JP?
1: Yeah, um, so tenor rejections are now above 22%. which uh, is very tight. (laughs) It's
0: it's reminiscent of 2018. That was the last time we saw that. Yeah.
1: Uh, And in terms of sustainability, I mean, I think, you know, you look at personal consumption expenditures on durable goods and non-durable goods, they're elevated by like 20% year over year. They started the year off at a normal sort of like tepid economic growth, like 2% up, 3% (laughs) up, whatever. Um, But as services spending plummeted, goods spending went up. So when when you think about whether the current freight volume rally is sustainable or not, it's important to keep in mind that this rally is not happening in spite of COVID-19. It's happening because of COVID-19. So when you think about what could end the rally, it's not things like a second wave of infections or stay-at-home orders or working from
0: home. That's actually what's driving the volume. That's that's a really good point. Um, I like I like the fact that we're talking about how it, it's the change of behavior in the marketplace that has created this surge. I mean, it's not just consumer behavior, but it's also business behavior. All those capital expenditure budgets uh, that we were talking about early in the year that got slashed. Uh, they're spending it in other ways i mean they're not spending all of it and obviously a lot of these companies as reported are, are sitting on a lot of cash right now again lends credence to the fact that maybe there could be another <laughs> boom later in the year uh yet to be seen but well, the fact are, that, yeah the, the trucking companies are ordering trucks now. yeah they're back what do you know the spot market blows up and uh yeah. back to adding capacity but again that's that's a different uh that's a different form of capacity than like an owner-operator adding, you know, going jumping back in the truck. And um, we,
1: I think we, I think that's a lot of replenishment as well. Mm-hmm. I think that people let their fleets age in 2019. Um, there's going to be a shortage of drivers this year with 100,000 fewer student drivers graduating yeah. from um, yeah, driving, they didn't driving have, schools. A lot of
0: the schools were shut down for a period of time. So
1: like it, it's not it's not the case that they're going to be able to seat a much higher number of trucks. I think they're just. Um, they're going to add capacity incrementally. And then as the uh, used truck market improves, they'll start to recycle through.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a guy actually that worked in the used truck market, and he said that there were all sorts of hangups in getting a used truck right now because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And uh, the procedures of Interesting. of selling trucks right now has become more complicated. Um, hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not a used truck specialist by any means, but uh, there were a few, uh, you know, Little nuances about how you, they change their process of getting rid of some trucks, so that that also could be hanging up or a headwind and getting some of these owner operators or smaller fleets uh, some of these this equipment later in the year.
1: One of the interesting uh, earnings reports, um, that actually from last night after after the markets closed, I did want to talk about was uh, Uber and Uber Freight. Mm-hmm. Um, that had a really interesting quarter and kind of a um, a turning point uh, maybe for that entire operation because. For the first, you know, so they they grew gross bookings for Uber Freight uh, quarter over quarter, right. which snapped a two-quarter slide in, in gross bookings. And if you remember, Uber Freight um, r- gross revenue had peaked in the third quarter of 19, had fallen in Q4 and co- fallen in Q1. Right. Um, I think a lot of that was due to the way that the larger company was pivoting toward profitability, and there were reports, um, rumors, and also I think some of it was reported in the media about Uber Freight repricing some contracted business that they had pursued a little bit too aggressively, so uh, giving back freight. Traditional market share play for the broker.
0: Yeah, You're and basically then it, it, pricing things really low so they can capture a bunch of the market as they're entering it.
1: Right, and then they had to give some of it back, so gross revenue sort of falling. Mm-hmm. But when you look at Q2, For the first time, I think this is for the first time, they grew revenue sequentially while at the same time cutting EBITDA losses sequentially. So they
0: grew their margins and they also expanded revenue. Right, which tells
1: me that they might be beyond, over the hump of repricing that contracted freight that wasn't really working for them. I mean, granted, they still lost $49 million (laughs) in 90 days, but... um, you know, that's much less than $64 million, right? And so they're, they're, it seems like, um, you know, Q over Q growth will be positive but moderate, and they're going to lose less and less money going forward. I, I don't know. I was really encouraged and impressed by that result. Um,
0: it sounds like they've, they've turned the ship in a meaningful direction. Um, but do so, you think do you think this is part of the market, just the the side effect of having a super hot market, so they could go out and not necessarily, you know, just take advantage of some of this super hot? I do, I
1: do pricing. think it, I do think it's part of that. I mean, they they integrated with SAP and Blue Jay, right? Um, they you know they reported that in the in the second quarter they saw, uh, like a, what was it like a it was like a. 200 percent increase in um, spot loads tendered to them through api's right right so mm-hmm. in, in that case you, you say like okay who has the the most frictionless user experience for booking a truck mm-hmm. they're actually in a great position to capture upside when when markets tighten right right now who knows how much it costs them to execute on the other end and booking <laughs> but, but you know hitting that button you yeah. um, It seems to be a lot easier than, you know, having some awkward and difficult conversations with brokers who are really trying to gouge you Um, when you call them at 4 o'clock on a Friday.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, to your point about how they've been going through this process of repricing their freight, that probably helped them out during the timing-wise as people were kind of still in that cycle of bottoming out their rates earlier in the year. They were trying to bring them back up and get you know kind of shed some of that low margin freighter obviously there's some loser freight out there yeah
1: um the only other thing i want to say about uber is just that i thought it was really um fascinating that that they changed the name of eats to delivery um so they have rides right. delivery freight and other bets which are like helicopters and bikes and like self-driving trucks but worldwide. yeah um, but but delivery is interesting they're actually getting into parcel delivery so there's they have a program called uber connect where someone can I could send you a package um, you know it's like local distances right so like from like Red bank to Udwal, I could send you a package then Uber can pick it up from my house and take it to you they've already done like three million of those shipments um, I wouldn't be surprised if they got into like omnichannel fulfillment. That's actually right. a fantastic like, idea. Like <laughs> like, like my CVS order, right? Yeah. I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to put my kid to bed or whatever. I, don't, I can't go to CVS, but I need like 10 things. Why can't I just get Uber to pick it up
0: for me? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people obviously needing, we're, we're switching from that DC-style uh, supply chain to a fulfillment center. A lot of people getting these packages at home now. And um, they
1: already have a great driver network. They need um, different uh sources of demand to get like asset utilization and and keep these drivers like happy and paid and stuff and i I really think that you'll see
0: deals um coming out um sort of you know with uh omnichannel fulfillment it is an interesting addition to the gig uh economy if it as it were Uh, obviously they've lost a lot of the uh need for their ride share programs
1: yeah and a lot of their drivers are um making more on unemployment than they were driving cars. And so I don't know if you, the last time you tried to book an Uber, I me, it was the last weekend <laughs> yeah. for me, and I had to, like, schedule it. And someone came up, and they're, like, the woman was like, yeah, I'm, like, one of five people driving. In any case, um, I, I do want to talk about some interesting intel that we've heard about the way that different um, sort of modes of transportation are responding to the hot freight environment that we're seeing right now.
0: Yeah, we are, uh, you know, I'll touch on it real fast, and then I'll, I'll toss to you real quick. So we are, for the first time in a long time, seeing flatbed rejection rates tick up the last couple of days. Again, the the industrial economy, uh, wrote about it last week in the chart of the week, and even the week before, saying the industrial economy is showing signs of life. And we have, you know, had this period of time where the freight market's been very active without... The industrial economy really boosting right. that volume. A lot of it's been, as we talked about, omni-channel uh, fulfillment center changes, transitions in supply chains, warehouse to warehouse, um, all sorts of inventory management, but also just the cha- change of freight type, et cetera. I mean, it's it's been without all of these car loads and, and raw materials and parts that normally drive a lot of the freight market, the oil market's finally coming back. Yeah. Uh, again, a huge part of the, the industrial economy. So All these things line up to, you know, now with the flatbed rejection rate finally starting to tick up, it tells me that the industrial part of the economy is now going to add to the already tight environment. We've done a little bit of
1: work on this and the flatbed tender rejections are actually a really highly correlated predictor of industrial production. Um, It's interesting because, you know, IPRO is like a dot, right? -hmm. A point that comes out every month. And this is, again, a curve, but um, it, it predicts, like, the movement of, of industrial production, like, quite well. Right.
0: And so what are we also hearing? We, we've heard some stuff about, you know, how some of these carriers are managing their business. Again, we talked about repricing contracts.
1: Yeah. So um, the 3PLs, um, especially ones who um, source trucking capacity on the spot market yeah. and therefore are very exposed to freight cycles, um, have been... I mean, I talked to um, a hedge fund manager yesterday who works on transports. Mm -hmm. He said that, you know, large 3PLs are tearing up contracts left and right. So 3PLs for LTL? Uh, No, this is is truckload and LTL. Um, We also heard about specific LTL carriers Mm -hmm. that are going to their 3PLs, you know, providers, right? Like, 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 so if you imagine the LTL carrier, the, the LTL brokers that book their trucks, they're turning around saying um, the number we heard was they raised rates on their brokers by 21%, which is basically, to me that signals we have enough freight, now we
0: can manage yields. And I think, too, this speaks to the fact that we, you know, we came out of a soft market in 2019, underpriced some contracts, Obviously, a super volatile 2020. Uh, We've had our lows and our highs, but again, very similar in the way that we, uh, you know, a lot of these contracts came down earlier in the year. Now the spot market has been active for several months, you know, probably two months, I would say, has been very active. And that just is not going to work for these brokers. Um, At the same time, these asset based carriers that utilize brokers for freight, they're not going to just get this inconsistent type of freight. LTL carriers specifically need to know what's coming, what type of freight's happening. 3PLs typically don't have a very consistent type of freight for LTL so they have to stack that those pallets on the truck consistently. Uh, truckload of course they, they use brokers typically as supplements or ways to get backhauls back or other types of movements that they don't have consistent moves for. And, and right now their contract freight is probably
1: blowing up, right? Yeah. And so they need the brokers much less. Yeah. Um, now Truckload carriers are also, you know, benefiting from this environment. Obviously, um, making a lot more money, utilizing their assets, you know, uh, reseeding trucks to the extent they can. Um, we think it's going to be a little bit later until they uh, reprice contract freight, mm-hmm. simply because they they they, do, they can honor their commitments longer. They have much better cost control. Right. Right. Um, but we think that they may actually wait
0: until around October. Well, they don't have to honor these contracts. They can hop into the spot market because their door getting beaten down right now. Yeah. It's typically the other way around with the shippers. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of what we're hearing is that they're honoring
1: sort of like their basic contractual commitments and rejecting mm-hmm. surge freight. Right. Um, but, w- you know, the thinking now is that carriers will wait until it's undeniable that they have pricing power right. in October and then they'll get returned to the shippers and ask for
0: uh, yeah. rate increases. So we've got about a minute left. I'll chime in with my pricing guy hat real quick. Uh, you know, I think that we will see some rate increases this year. I think we are going to see this sustained for a little bit longer, uh, you know, moving into the third and fourth quarter when it is traditional bid season. But I don't think that we're going to see those eight, 9% rate increases that we saw in 2017-18, simply because we don't have, I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the environment. We don't have a lot of that you know optimism about the future that we had back then that makes sense
1: yeah i think i think i think uh, a long-term narrative is crucial for justifying like okay your rate should be higher for the next 12 months
0: yeah i think uh, back in 2018 there were two rate increase cycles even back then so Uh, It didn't work out great (laughs) for the carriers as they pulled a lot of that back. Well, JP, uh, thank you as always. Uh, That wraps up our episode of On the Spot this week. And as usual, stay tuned to Freightways.com and Freightways Live for any future freight market updates. Have a great week.